All right, so bear with me a little bit. <laughs> um, I'm Matt. I'm Cheryl's middle child. Um, I don't know how else. Okay, so as a military man, our emotions get faded. It takes time for us to love, and we take heartache much harder. But one thing I've never forgot to feel is the love of my parents. As we're gathered here today, I'm really conflicted. Filled with sadness, yet there's a glimpse of happiness as we reflect. Reflect on the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've had some amazing times with my moms, some bad times, and some downright ugly times. But through all of it, we found each other, and we were able to learn from our mistakes, push past the ugly, and make new amazing memories. One of those amazing memories I'll never, I'll never forget and never fails to bring a smile to my face, the time I asked, to, asked my mother to draw one of my tattoos for me. <laughs> so, as we all know, my mom loved to draw. She was very good at it and very anti-tattoos. <laughs> she didn't really understand the meaning of why people got tattoos and so on. But when it came time for me to get a tattoo I've always wanted since I was a little kid, and I could explain the meaning behind it, I asked my mom for help. Not really expecting help, but hoping that she would. She took time out to draw my tattoo and make sure it was, a, it was as big and bold as I dreamed of. 12 years later, it's still the biggest tattoo I have, and it's still one of the best bonding experiences I've had with my mom. So here I am, standing in front of you, in a room full of sad faces, conflicted. As I stand here, I'm sad, as we all are. I'm sad because, if you weren't aware, my mother and I didn't always have the best relationship. We saw the world in two different lights, and neither of us would budge. I'm sad because our relationship never reached the height that I knew it could, and I'm sad because I didn't make more of the opportunities when they presented themselves. But I'm happy, even if it... The tears don't show it. I'm still happy. I'm happy she's not suffering anymore. I'm happy she was able to touch so many lives in such a short amount of time. And as you look around, remember, people aren't here today that she helped. And finally, I'm happy knowing that she's smiling down on us, watching over us, and eventually will be seated next to her. So as we mourn and as we miss, do so in a way she would want Make yourself smile with the remembrance of good times. Think of her words and live by her actions. To my mom, the angel wings on my back. I know that it's customary to make eye contact when speaking to a congregation, but I'm not sure it's going to be possible this time. Looking up, I would see the sadness in many of your faces as we reflect on the life that Cheryl lived. While this is a sorrowful event, we can find peace in the fact that she is now able to rejoice with our Lord and Savior. I came across a passage a couple of weeks ago on Palm Sunday while Pastor Tim was speaking from John 12. Like most instances in which my attention is called to a specific passage, my eyes started to wander and scan the different texts in the chapters adjacent. In doing so, I came across an earlier passage in John 12. It reads, John 12, 24 through 26. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I am encouraged by and thankful for this passage because it reaffirms that mom's death was not in vain. She walked this earth as a faithful servant of God and helped heal the hearts of many people across the world. I know that because of her great servitude, countless lives have been positively impacted, and there will be abundance of fruit produced from the works that she's carried out in Christ's name. Death is rarely easy to comprehend and can often leave a wake of misery in its path. Excuse the funeral pun, but I am Greg's son after all, so it had to get in there. (laughs) I, I am thankful for this church most of all, and for all the members that make up this congregation. Because of you, this has all been a little bit more manageable, and for that I thank you. It is a reminder of how powerful the Holy Spirit can be within a family that is united in Christ, by Christ, and for Christ. I encourage you to remember the times that you shared with my mother and tell others about the amazing woman that she was. While she is gone from this earth now, her love will surely remain. I'm Karis, Cheryl's daughter, and I'm not going to make eye contact either, just because I'm reading. Um, I wrote three sections, and I know at once it will be too much and not enough. So this is the first part. It has been interesting, and it has been encouraging, and it has been sometimes even puzzling to listen to the stories shared as my mom is remembered in her absence. It is a great gift to hear each one. I get to understand my mom better from all these different memories and relationships. For me, my experience of my mom is very deep, but also narrow. I was, or am, her child. Over the past decade, we did become friends as well, but in some way, I was still always her child. For much of our relationship, I didn't see or understand her as anything other than my mom. I knew her, yes. I knew that she was usually serious, but had a deep quirkiness, and that it seemed my brother Matt could make her laugh the easiest. I knew that she claimed things like she wasn't ticklish, or that in fact she liked her toast burnt to a crisp. I knew she didn't love to have her personal space invaded much, until Brian, the world's cuddliest baby, arrived, and then she liked to snuggle. I knew she was vain about her pretty feet, and that although he got the most eye rolls, Dad was her absolute favorite. I knew that her weaknesses included ice cream and popcorn and thrift stores. And sometimes it seemed to me like she struggled believing how loved she was. I do know her. I do remember her. And I will be trying to remember more for the rest of my life. Over the years, I've thought a lot about my relationship with mom and how we often struggled and missed each other completely. Believe me when I say I've spent many hours reflecting on her strengths and weaknesses But none of it changes the simple and profound fact that my self is so intertwined with hers and that I love her so, and all because she loved me first. Constrained to just a few minutes, that's the best way I can think to express our relationship. This is the second part. In a minute, I'm going to try and play something on the piano, not really for entertainment's sake, because if that were the case, I would have asked someone who could play it better. It's just for my mom, and since I don't know if she will know or not, I guess it's mostly for my own sake, so please bear with me. It's a piece by Debussy, and the first reason I chose it 
is because I just am not good enough yet at Claire de Lune, also by Debussy, which mom loved. Oops. <laughs> the other reason I chose this piece is because I've thought of her a lot while playing it. Sometimes my three-year-old daughter, Aurora, and I make up stories to the music I play on the piano, and she's getting pretty good at imagining what the music might be describing. Guess what? It seems that most music depicts a princess. <laughs> anyway, while playing this song, Reverie, Aurora told me a story about a princess who was out in fields of flowers in the sunshine when a tiger comes and attacks, naturally. After being wounded, the princess searches for a doctor, finds one, is healed, and goes back to dancing in the flowers. At this point in the story slash music, Aurora asks me with delight, Now did the prince come? Did he? Are they dancing together? Of course they were, and they are. Cheesy as it seems, her little story depicted my mom's journey in a nutshell. And then this is the last part. Without being too gory, I want to tell you a little bit about the last couple weeks of my mom's life out in California. I don't want to be too gory because it seems dramatic or too intimate, but also it seems to me that a lot of worthy things are both dramatic and intimate. When Brian and I arrived in California, my parents had been there for a month already. In fact, we flew out on March 17th, the day that my mom was scheduled to fly home to PA after her month of treatment. Mom was doing okay. I mean, she wasn't, but good luck trying to figure out what is classified as okay while someone is terminally ill. She had been released from Saddleback Hospital the night before we arrived and was receiving hospice care. After a couple of days, the four of us moved so we were all staying in the same hotel room since we were together all day anyway. My dad by then was exhausted, and his service to my mom is the first thing I will never forget. I have a photograph to show you as I play piano in a moment. I took it while sitting at the end of my mom's bed by the one window in her room. We were all thankful for the California sunshine, though we longed to be home. During the next two and a half weeks, my mom dipped and peaked and dipped again. You know how it's hard to notice how you change on a daily basis? Well, it was like that. We were so incredibly up close and hyper-focused on mom. Sometimes it felt like there was no outside world, no big picture, no way to really gauge how bad things were. Time increments were changed. That whole period felt so much longer than just two and a half weeks because a day wasn't divided into three parts anymore, but into 1,440 parts. That's how many minutes are in a day. I promise you I'm not exaggerating. We pretended to be distracted and nonchalantly playing word brain or doing crosswords, but we were fully there, alert and watching. Every cough, almost every labored breath and movement, every time her eyes opened or she uttered something, we attended. I know this attention was uncomfortable for her. There was just no way to not do it. There were traumatic days with falls and panic and pain. There were quiet days with a lot of watching her sleep and waking her for meds. And then Monday through Friday, there was always jeopardy and wheel of fortune. There was a lot of praying, and there were moments of tenderness and remembering. There was frustration as she could not do what she wanted to do, even when that was something as awful as throwing up. I'm sure she was trying to understand and accept what was happening, that she was dying, and it wasn't easy. She was not afraid to die, but she surely did not want to die. That's the second thing I will never forget. The faith and hope that so many of you heard her talk about or blog about was proven so true to me during those weeks. I'm almost done. I've wondered at my wanting to share some of this agony with you, and I'm sure some of it is selfish. 
I don't want to be alone in it, and remembering her suffering is the only way I'm able to let her go. I'm also sure that a little of it is that this agony helps me and us to long and hope for a resurrection. Jesus is first and ours next. It helps us remember that our lives are precious, that we will all eventually agonize in some way and then cease to be here, and that by grace through faith we can hope in life together again. Glory be to God in the highest.
Well, good afternoon, and uh, thank you for coming. And I am going to try to make eye contact, although it might be difficult. On occasions such as these, there are certain expectations. One of them is that we will summarize someone's long, rich life in just 15 minutes. And I can't do that. I'm going to add a few things in here that I haven't written down. I'll say I can't do that because I'm not a Hollywood screenwriter. I can't do that. And another expectation is that I must say something significant, something profound, something truly meaningful at such a critical time and place such as this. And I don't know if I have that in within me. I know there are times of Abraham Lincoln's dresses and things like that, but I don't know if I simply have that in the, in the bottom of my soul. Times like this become one of those meaning-of-life sort of events to plumb the depths of what life is all about. Why am I here? Where am I going? The first thing I want you to know is that Cheryl and I started talking about this moment some time ago. Talked about what she would say if she was physically present. What she would want you to hear if she could speak to you in her own voice today. Well, she's left us, and she left that job to me. I want you to understand that this time we have before us now is not about me. I'm just a messenger. To a great extent, this time is not even really about Cheryl, so much as it is about what God has done and is doing in Cheryl and through Cheryl by what Jesus has done. So this is the most important thing this afternoon. So I'm saying it first while everyone is still listening intently before eyes start to glaze over and attentions wander. Life is about what we are and what we can become through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Cheryl grew up with a relatively happy childhood in North Philadelphia. That changed after her parents' divorce when she was about 12 years old. From that event onward, she didn't give God much thought at all for a long, long time. This is said not to assess blame or cast any aspersion on anyone. That's just the way life is. Things happen in life, and we react to them, and this event left Cheryl walking away from any sort of God. So, they moved to Levitt City. She knew I was going to say that. I always say Levitt City or Levittville, you know. Levittburg, instead of Levittown. For you visitors, it's Levittown, Pennsylvania. Okay, so they moved to Levittown, and Cheryl did the usual sort of teen angst thing. So, you know, oh, mom. Oh, anyway, you, some of you teenager parents, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, if you're a teen, uh, you'll, you'll find out. Anyway, from that event onward, she didn't give God much thought you know, so um, she did the teen angst thing, and the young adult, she was casting around with various philosophies, Eastern religion in her early 20s, that sort of thing that was hip at the time. So at the age of 23, she made the statement, well, there's many roads to God. Well, this led her sister, right here, Marianne, this led her sister to give her a verse from the Bible. Quite simple and direct. This verse is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, to Thomas, 
I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that did it for Cheryl. The Bible puts it in in this sort of words and way. Cheryl accepted Jesus as her Savior. That means from that moment of belief, she was forgiven. She was born into God's family. She became a child of God who lives forever in the presence of God. This is the most important thing that you can hear tonight, so I trust. And I hope I said it loudly and clearly. She and I would want you to know that your relationship with God is the only thing that truly matters in life, in this life and the next. Not money, not possessions, not fame, success. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I know that was, that was and is true of my wife right now. But there's some other things to say about my wife tonight as well, so, or this afternoon, so let's, let's save it. First, Cheryl was no angel. I mean, <laughs> don't get away with that, too. She's not here right But anyway, yes, she is. Cheryl was no angel. I mean, in, in one sense, okay, the first sense. My wife may be in the presence of our Lord at this very moment, but Cheryl is not an angel. She's not an actual theological, biblical angel. I mean, like flying around with wings and playing a harp, okay? You know, it's a wonderful life. Great movie, bad theology. Anyway, um, those angels are created beings. That's something entirely different from us. But I, I hope you get my meaning in the other sense of the word. My wife wasn't always angelic. She and I talked about how often at funerals and memorials, the more negative but real parts of life tend to get glossed over a bit. Well... My wife wasn't perfect. She did have a temper. She did have a tongue, and she used it. She spoke her mind, and she had a strong will. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if that reminds some of you of someone else that's here today. (laughs) There were times when she and I would go toe-to-toe for 15 rounds. I mean, the rumble in the jungle had nothing on us. You know, Fraser and... uh, Okay. At at times, I wish we moved all the breakables because things suffered. Um, And and I've mentioned this before to some people, so it's an old line from me, but that in in 39 years of marriage, we never once considered divorce, but the topic of murder came up more than... (laughs) So, we had some real as the English would say, rows. Do, English, do Americans say that? You have a row? We do in England. We had some real rows. But as I mentioned, she wasn't perfect. But she was forgiven in Jesus. And so am I on both of those things, imperfection and forgiven. And as she grew up in life, she also grew up in the Lord. And not everyone can say that. Some people just get old. The scripture calls this process of being transformed in the image of God, 2 Corinthians 3.18, transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, to to determine that which is good and perfect, acceptable will of God. 
as you continue to follow the Lord. And I think Cheryl demonstrated that at least to someone like me who saw her day after day. Kind of number two if you're counting, if you're taking notes. Cheryl really loved the Lord. She did. I would have to say I knew deep down that she loved somebody a lot more than me, than she loved me. She really loved the Father. But that was okay because she had to love me (laughs) and the kids and others. This goes hand in hand with her love of God's Word. She read and studied and taught the Scriptures up until her final days here on earth. As some of you know that from reading her blog. And all of the parts of our life together, of all of these things, okay, her good cooking, her marvelous ability with all sorts of crafts. We have a partial Boeing 747 assembled in our back garden. Uh, every, she did everything, all, all kinds of crafts and things. Um, her, our activities, like walking with each other, travel, all those elements of a physical relationship with someone. What I'm going to miss most of all is our time together when we, when we talk about what we've learned from God's Word. Me sitting in the blue chair that we stole from the missionary apartment. And uh, <laughs> some of you didn't know that. Uh, next to the bookcase and her over on the sofa and uh, the dog there and so forth. And, and just talking and sharing God's Word. And thirdly, Cheryl loved to write. She was probably the best correspondent or letter writer I've ever met in life, with the possible exception of my own mother. And I was interested, it's a Holy Spirit thing that uh, Karis did a lot of the, uh, everything here, with, a, and she had a basket of her letters there. Now, this, you'll have to go back to the Stone Age before Twitter and my Facebook Zanga, and even before email, to remember this. You know, when people, she, she would write and send countless letters and cards, and you'd put a stamp on it, how about that, and put it in the mail. And I'm not just talking about the U.S., all over the world, you know, from the U.K., from Bulgaria. And she would mail them to people. She always remembered birthdays and anniversaries, something that I'm going to have a hard time with. In our mission travels, she would always have a thank you note for dinner hosts and such, and usually a small gift. And, again, I'm adding stuff here just as a remembrance. We went to a mission conference in Columbus, one of these big churches, with hundreds of folks and all this. They gave a dinner, and uh, we came and all this. And I, no credit on me for this. Yeah. So um, Cheryl had a card and a little gift from England, you know, one of these souvenir of UK stuff. You know, it's everywhere. So she gave that to the host, and she says, you know, there's probably 120-some people here, and you're the only one to give us a thank you note or a little gift. And that was my wife. So later on, of course, there was that social media like the above-mentioned mash. And, and she related to people all over the globe and, uh, and talked to people, and you've seen on Facebook how folks are going to miss her. There are other things, number four, kind of, there are other things that I could mention. Her voracious appetite for books and reading. She would read, 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 read. And so would I. Bible studies, which she did and she read. All her crafts. Cooking. She was up for me getting her to try out all kinds of recipes of things on the hoof and things not. Uh, gardening. But lastly, there's one more thing about her life I think you should know. 
In all candor, Cheryl put up with a lot of heartache in her 64 short years of earthly life. A lot of toil, a lot of hard work, and a lot of heartache. Uh, First, there was our life in ministry and foreign missions. You can read the biography. Some of you know we lived overseas for quite some time. Cheryl and I counted out the number of places that one would term home for us. Places that we lived for at least a month, maybe even three months, over 39 years of marriage. Okay? These totaled up to be about 35 to 50 different homes. And that's not even including her childhood moves. And this isn't mentioning her furlough or deputation travel visits. For those of you that aren't familiar, you travel from church to church and speak and so forth. Those are hundreds. Countless of them. And it wasn't just that. The house moves, the packing, the unpacking, the loading, the unloading. A mission life is, is full of uncertainty. Will you have your support? Where's the next paycheck coming from? Will we get our visas approved? Or when they get approved, are they going to revoke them? Will a door of service be open? You're going to have an opportunity in ministry, and you go there, and, it's, and boom. Will that door close? All those things. My wife put up with a lot in life. It was hard and demanding and draining. And, okay, the Lord put her through that, but in a sense, I did because she followed that life with me. But she stuck it out, and I give her godly honor for that. And just so you'll know, she and I, and I hope I can say, we as a family gained a lot in those times, even in the hard times. Not just in places we visited or in the things that we saw, but in the lives we touched and in lives that touched us. There were also many other hard things that I won't dwell on today. Death and loss in her family, especially her father dying at such a young age, and many other close relatives too. Infertility. Children that didn't always make the right decisions. And for that matter, husbands that didn't always make the right decisions either. Loss of relationship with people. Perhaps at times our fault or my fault. But frankly, at other times, not the case. And of course, illness and disease. And I think my daughter, I I didn't know anything she was going to say, by the way, I'm just adding this. Anything she was going to say, and I think that was appropriate because I didn't know if I had the guts to say it. Illness and disease. But, you know, Cheryl would always say, we will get through this. We will survive this. I will survive. God gave Cheryl a peace and a comfort. Some of you know the scripture, the peace that passes all understanding, keeps and guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He gave her a peace and a comfort and at times just plain guts to get through What one songwriter, I think, puts it, this thousand sleepless nights to know that you are near. I think and I know that this can only be as a result of the Holy Spirit and the power of God working in her life, Cheryl's life. And now what, you may ask? I don't know. And I wanted to show you this, but it came to the end of the page. There's no gap there. I wanted to show you, it says, uh, and now what you may ask, I don't know. Because it's blank. I didn't finish it. I don't really know. People ask me, well, now what are you going to do? You know, on this, and then what are you going to I don't know. What does the Lord have for us as a family? What does the Lord have for me? What does the Lord... But I do know this. I do know this. The same God that loved my wife and cared for my wife and drew her through life and, and made her into the woman that she became in the Lord Jesus... 
that he holds that future. And so I know whatever it is, it'll be what he has for us. And I want to give him praise and honor and glory for that. And I want to thank him for my wife. So let's pray. Father, I don't think I have many more words in me other than to say thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me, to forgive me for everything I've ever done wrong, and to bring me into your presence, into God's presence forever as your child. And I know, Cheryl, my wife, our mother, our wife, our sister, our daughter, that she is there today in your presence. And for that, we praise the blessed name of Jesus. And God, I would pray that anyone here today would have used this opportunity to think about where they stand before you and their relationship that they have or do not have with you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is Steve Shipley. Greg and I are one of three brothers. He's the youngest, I'm the middle, and our older brother, Dave. We had no sisters, but I was the first one to get married. And so for over, excuse me, for over three years, my brothers had a chance to get adjusted to having a sister in the family, a sister-in-law. So for me, Cheryl was my first sister, and I had to trust. I didn't know her ahead of time. I had to trust that Greg made a good choice, and he did. I have, uh, we've been blessed. It was, as, as he's already said, uh, she was a, not a crafty person. That sounds negative. She was, she was a person of crafts. And as my wife has been want to say recently, our house is filled with Cheryl. So we, rem- <clears throat> we remember her. I've been asked to pray, and my dad always said you should be short in public, so it'll be a short prayer. I'm asked to pray to close and uh, remain in your places because Pastor Tim has some instructions for the reception to follow. So would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you have indeed blessed us with every spiritual blessing in high places, but you've also done a good job in blessing us here and now. And one of the, many of those blessings are the people and friends with whom we have been blessed. And Cheryl was one of those. We thank you for that. We would pray, Lord, that in our remembrance of her, we would also reflect upon our other relationships to take the best opportunity, the, the most times with our friends and family to share, to make right relationships that have been bruised and suffered, to correct those things that, that we have in our lives that we need to, to just be uh, certain that we take the best, best advantage of. So we thank you for her. We do not commend her spirit to, to you because that's already been taken care of. We know for her faith in Christ that she is with you and enjoying the, bound, uh, the abundance, goodness of you and the heaven. But we do commit to you this family and the friends who will miss her as the grieving process will be long and, and often tough. Because we do mourn. We just do not sorrow as those who have no hope. So we will miss her, and we know that in Christ we will be rejoined to her and all that have gone before us, and we're grateful for that. And so help us to use our time well and wisely.
but always to have the prayer on our lips, even so, come Lord Jesus. So we thank you for Cheryl and her family. We ask your blessing on each of those family members and friends who will miss her. And we commit this time to you, we pray, Lord, in the name of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.